Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I am the Chief Diversity Officer of the AAVMC. So we are a bit late, I think five days late (laughs) in celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month here in the States this year. Um, But that's because my guests, uh, my three guests today are super VIPs with crazy schedules and it took (laughs) several months for us to pull this show together. Um, So I'm really excited to to have my guest today. Uh, According to the Census Bureau, each year Americans observe National Hispanic Heritage Month from September 15th to October 15th by celebrating the histories, cultures, and contributions of Americans whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. Hispanic, Latinx, and Latin populations are among the fastest growing in the U.S. and certainly also among the most diverse. Um, As an ethnicity, kind of an umbrella ethnicity. Hispanics can be any race. Um, They can practice any religion. They can come from a variety of backgrounds. And the Latin um, diaspora is everywhere, right? So today, my three guests are three deans, two of whom are the first uh, Hispanic Latin American deans at veterinary colleges in the U.S. So uh, I am very delighted to welcome uh, to the show Dr. Carmen Fuentebella of Long Island University, Dr. Carlos Risco of Oklahoma State University, and Dr. Francisco Suarez of UNAM. Welcome to the show, each of you. Thank you. Yes. So as is our custom on the show, I have my guests tell us um, a bit about yourselves, um, themselves. And so um, today we're going to start with uh, Carmen. Um, If you could tell us a bit about yourself and your veterinary origin story. Sure. So thank you for inviting me. Uh, We know each other for many, many years, uh, and it's always good uh, talking with you. And uh, having Francisco and Carlos uh, is uh, a treat because, as you said, it's difficult for us to get together. So I'm originally from Chile. That's where I did my DVM degree. And then I went to uh, Texas. Well, first I did my PhD at Liverpool in England and then Texas A&M for the residency program in pathology. And I started my academic journey in uh, Atlantic Veterinary College in Canada, Prince Edward Island. And uh, I have been uh, founding faculty and now founding dean uh, at Long Island University. Uh, This is my third new veterinary school. So uh, the pathologist by training and very uh, interested in veterinary education. Great. Thank you. Um, So why don't we have uh, Francisco? Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, Thank you very much, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be with you and also with Carmen and Carlos, people that uh, we get together 
very often in different circumstances, especially with, Car with Carmen. And um, about my background as a vet, uh, I is, uh, get my BBM degree from the National Autonomous University of Mexico. And then I also did a master's degree in the, in the same university in microbiology. Then I started working as an associate professor part-time at the, at the University of Mexico and also full-time at the Institute of Research, Animal Research Institute in Mexico City. Then I moved into the United States to Colorado State University and work in my PhD also with the uh, uh, microbacteria, with the mycobacteria and manhemia at that time. And uh, then I, I came back to Mexico. I started working again at the uh, the university in the uh, this time at the university in in, in uh, Monterrey in Nuevo Leon in the state of Nuevo Leon in the north part of the country. And then they asked me to come down to Mexico City to my uh, university where I graduate, and I started working in different, always in the microbiology field uh, field, uh, field, but also as a as an associate dean of research, associate dean of uh, graduate school, and now I am the dean. I am in my second period of as a dean, and in Mexico, you at the university there are rules that you have you can be dean at one of the schools two times, two, two periods of four times each. Then I am in second period, and I have enjoyed this position very very much. I think I I. I, uh, in my family background, my grandfather was before the uh, the revolution of Mexico that was happened many many years ago. He was administrators administrator of haciendas, large haciendas before they were divided. And then uh, there was a lot of history and a lot of things in my family also related with animals and animal production, especially. And he, I say again, very nice, very glad to be with you. Thank you for being with us. And uh, yeah, I want to hear more about that history at some point. So we might get it. We're going to come back to that. Um, so uh, now we're going to go to uh, Dr. Carlos Risco. Well, thank you, uh, Lisa, for inviting me. And it's a pleasure to uh, join my distinguished colleagues. So as far as my origin, um, both, both in veterinary medicine. So uh, I was born in Cuba. Um, I was six years old when I emigrated to the United States um, with my family, with my um, three, uh, three sisters, two brothers. And we spent a very little time, very short time in Miami. And then we moved to Puerto Rico. And I, I, I lived in Puerto Rico until I was about 12 years old. And during that time, I had a wonderful experience to, I was surrounded with a variety of animals from dogs, cattle, horses, and a, uh, a veterinarian that took this nine-year-old, 10-year-old around. He worked for USDA. And I think that's what started my uh, affinity to the veterinary profession, um, or veterinary medicine. Um, I always had an interest in science and the medicine that was nurtured by my father, who was a physician. When I was 12 years old, we moved back to, to the United States, um, Trotwood, Ohio, outside of uh, Dayton, Ohio, where I had an opportunity to be an FFA, 4-H, and again, uh, 
connected with uh, uh, veterinarians. I finished uh, my high school in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, the Tampa Bay area. And then I uh, um, enrolled at University of Florida, did my undergraduate there, uh, received my DVM degree from the University of Florida, the first class, the chartered class. I practiced veterinary medicine, um, uh, large animal medicine, particularly dairy uh, veterinary medicine um, in Southern California in the Chino Valley. Um, and that, and I became boarded in uh, theurgenology, and then an opportunity, a faculty position came available uh, at, at Florida. I joined, I was there for 27 years, um, assistant, associate, uh, department head, large animal clinical sciences, and um, I've been in this role of, uh, as dean here at Oklahoma State for, for the last four and a half years. <laughs> Four and a half years has flown by. I remember when you were uh, boy, like, of course, the pandemic has been in there. And uh, I tell everybody, I'm like, pandemic time is different. <laughs> right? yeah. so it seems much longer. Um, so uh, my first question to each of you really has to do with kind of identity language. Right. And so um, I. Uh, of course, in the U.S., we have uh, National Hispanic Heritage Month, um, but certainly in the last probably decade or 15 years or so, we've seen a lot of um, uh, evolution and change in the way that um, Hispanics and Latin Americans uh, identify. And so um, two of the kind of more uh, often used terms now are Latinx, which kind of eliminates the the um, the gendered uh, aspect of Spanish, and then now we're kind of uh, on the front end of seeing Latin, um, which kind of brings back a bit of gender, but is a is a little bit different. So I'm really curious um, how you all think about this language and how do you identify? Because I also know that a lot of folks tend to also identify by country culture piece. And so, um, so I'm really interested in hearing some of your thoughts on um, this uh, identity language. Uh, why don't we start with you, Carlos? Yeah, thank you. So, uh, you know, my, my understanding of the, 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 the exchange of this two words, the Hispanic uh, denotes more of the Spanish language. And it may be more from uh, what I would say, European origin uh, from Spain, um, Hispanicus, I believe is the, the origin of the word. But I identify as a Latino, uh, I'm a male uh, that comes from Latin America, was born in Latin America, in my case, Cuba, whose native language is uh, Spanish, because I think that the, the Latino, Latina, that, that, that word, really, as I understand it, as I try to understand the difference between these two words, it's more of your origin, more of, the, more of a territorial. So in my case, Latin America, specifically Cuba, as Latino. Mm -hmm. Carmen, your thoughts, and then Francisco. Yeah, it is very confusing. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to go with Hispanic, uh, and the main reason is uh, because I am from Chile, South America, we are quite isolated. 
And uh, so, you know, we do identify being Latin American, um, and that will include, you know, Brazil. Uh, I think that there is a, a confusion about Latinx, whether, you know, uh, Spain is included and Portugal is included. So then all of a sudden, you know, you want to be inclusive and you start excluding people. So um, I respond to either, you know, Hispanic, Latinx, uh, Latina, uh, and it's just a matter of uh, trying to go into the fine point sometimes. And uh, 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 I'm with you. It's very confusing. Now, what is more confusing, and I'm sure that you will get there, and we have talked about this, that is is sort of, uh, you know, my struggle every year when I have to fill up those uh, (laughs) comparative data or institutional data reports, and we have, you know, Hispanic people that uh, don't know if they're Hispanic or they're white, are they Hispanic or are they Asian, are they Hispanic and Black? Uh, Hispanic and others, I just fill up a form for my COVID, you know, sort of booster, and I couldn't find myself. I ran Hispanic, that was it. You know, then they have a list of races, and I was like, okay, other, I guess. (laughs) So it is confusing. Yes, yes. And for folks that don't know, we are in the middle, AAVMC is in the middle of collecting its annual data and um, we always get a lot of questions about <laughs> about um, the demographic data and kind of how do we record people? Because I think that the other thing that is really important for folks to understand is um, Hispanic, Latinx folks can be any race, right? And a lot of, but a lot of times there's not necessarily um, uh, how you, what that means also can be interpreted very differently from person to person. Francisco, do you want to jump in? How do you identify? (laughs) Well, as uh, Carmen says, it's very confusing, but to make it simple, uh, I am Mexicano. Yeah, I am from Mexico. I am Mexicano. That is the way that we identify all over the world. Uh, Actually, my family came from my father and mother's size came from Spain, obviously, but they arrived in Mexico in the 16th century. Then, then they are very, very 100% Mexicano, yeah? And we have an advantage in Mexico that we don't have to specific, specify the, the race or whatever. We, when we all the paperwork and say Mexican or Mexicano, and that's it. We don't have to, we have some difference, but these are more cultural, are more the, the native uh, Mexican uh, people. They, they have, we have a lot of different origins and a lot of different cultures. And that makes a very rich and very inclusive uh, society. Yeah, and I think that maybe we talk a little bit later, but maybe we have more difference between uh, social classes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. and most of them related to economy, to the income of the people, and also education. That are the more differences that we have. And at the university, are working very, very hard right now in trying to be inclusive in all these kind of things. Maybe later we have some time to yeah. discuss about, about a little bit of that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, thank you all for answering that question, because I think that it is... Um, uh, as a DEI 
professional who is trying to keep up with the constant changes and the ways that individuals identify want to get it right. But (laughs) it's sometimes a little challenging because you really want to meet individuals where they are. And so each of you have a little bit different kind of framework that you are operating from. And so I think that that's illustrative of, I think, some of the challenges that people find with some of these identifiers. So, um, so, you know, Hispanic and Latinx, Latin American students are among the fastest growing um, student population. And, um, and certainly we know in, in Mexico, UNAM is huge. Like it's, it's a really, really big school, <laughs> right? And so what do you think um, your role is and, and your visibility mean? What do you think that means to Latin American students and Hispanic students? Carmen? Well, uh, I guess the first thing is is sort of, you know, you take it with a lot of uh, sort of humility and care that, uh, you know, a huge responsibility that you are under the microscope, so to speak. And uh, funnily enough, I am not, uh, or Carlos is not the first Hispanic dean uh, in the U.S., uh, but the first one, I think it was uh, Gerald Schurich, originally from Chile. But everybody will say, well, but he was German. No, he was not. <laughs> was, yeah. German last name, but according to the U.S., it, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, your origin. If you were born in, in Latin America, then you are Hispanic. So. Um, you know, big role model, uh, love uh, Gerald Schurich and very proud and, uh, you know, in Chile and Mexico and uh, in other Latin American countries, you, you have both uh, surnames. And so Gerald is Schurich Fernandez. So that's the last name of the mother. And uh, so anyways, I am uh, going to different direction now, but uh, I think that uh, uh, you know, when when you are sort of uh, the poster person for Hispanic females in the profession, it's a huge responsibility because, uh, you know, there are certain expectations, there are certain stereotypes. And, uh, you know, I guess my role, I feel, is to uh, be... Uh, sort of welcoming and let people know that if I made it, anybody can make it and then open doors for others, making it easier for people to get into the profession. Yeah, yeah. So Francisco at your giant university, (laughs) Mexico (laughs) City, (laughs) you know. Um, Yeah, so how do you see your role in visibility and kind of the the leadership that you're providing um, your students? Well, uh, I think, it, um, I, I hope I understood well the, the question, but I think for us it's, uh, it's uh, completely different because we develop in, in our country, but also, uh, let me tell you that this happened like uh, 
25, 26 year, years ago, when the NAFTA agreement was, uh, was uh, in place, there was a lot of movement of uh, also professionals. And then at that time, I, I was a young vet <laughs> at that time. And then uh, uh, we started being worried about that because there were a lot of vets from the United States coming into, into Mexico. And then we say, well, we need to do something to normalize that. No? And then we start working in that. Then there, there, there was a meeting in Mexico in, in all those years, and then we decided to start working in trying to get and meet each other. Yeah, and then that is the way that we learn about us. There is a group that is this North America uh, leadership in veterinary medicine. Yeah, and then we meet every year. Since that time, we meet every year in different countries, United States, Mexico, and Canada. Next year will be in Mexico. Carmen was in Canada in the last meeting. Yeah, and it's really a very good meeting because that day is, we start to know each other. Then we have more visibility in the United States because we already have it in the, in the other part of the continent. And it is, is a PAMBET. At, at that time, I am the president of PAMBET, is the Pan American Association on Veterinary Science. Carmen is part of the board of directors. And then this leadership has been developing in a very, uh, I think, in a very important way. Yeah, and that is reflected. I, that is what I see is reflected in our school. Yeah, there is no more people that is interested, students and academics, and the, and also staff that uh, they, they they are interested more in what is happening outside Mexico and outside the university. That's as you say is huge. Right now, the number of students that I have at the vet school is 3,600 3, students. No? Then, then, then the, the, the things are, I think are going okay. We need to pursue working more harder. Now it's a, it's a pleasure for, for me as a Latin American yeah, that Canada and United States are part of this association full full associates and they are interested in going out to the meetings and attend these meetings and I think that is very good for the continent. Yeah. And then I think that is has been reflected in our students also. Yeah. Carlos. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I hope that I can be an influencer uh, to Hispanic, you know, Latinx uh, students, that they see me as having a similar background to them um, here in the United States. And I hope that my influence is, um, number one, that there are opportunities for them, that there's a pathway for them to enter veterinary school, that's the first thing. And then of course, to graduate and become a veterinarian, okay? A little bit different than when I applied 40 some years ago. Secondly, and I think I really feel this, I think this is important because I struggled with this when I was, uh, that they belong mm -hmm. in the profession. They can be part of it because with me personally, there was a time so well, I don't know. I always thought that being a veterinarian, at least in the United States, uh, was more for uh, 
and I'll say more for white people, what, what am I doing? So we, I hope that they see that, look, you belong in the profession. More importantly is that because of who they are, their experiences, their backgrounds, they will make a positive impact, not only to the veterinary profession, but also to society. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So I'm actually going to follow up with that um, um, because you kind of uh, alluded to some of those challenges, right? So how do you deal? How have you dealt, each of you dealt with, you know, some of the, the, um, racial, ethnic kind of challenges um, for you, Carmen, the additional layer of gender um, playing a role in your, your lived experience as well. Um, Carlos, I'm going to stay with you for just a minute there. Um, how, how do you cope with that? Uh, uh, me? Yeah, you. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> well, I thought about this. So, um, you know, and we all have our challenges. We all have our, our stories. So for me, I cope, I have coped with this in different ways. Number one, I've never taken it personal, personally. It's not a personal attack. I've always felt that um, maybe it's a, it's a, mis, a misunderstanding of where the situation is coming from. So I never took it personally. And um, I um, always took it as an opportunity to learn. What can I learn from this situation so that I can grow as a person? Uh, I've always maintained my um, my sense of self. I know who I am. Okay. Uh, one of the things, and this may be interesting, that I uh, I was I've always been well, not now, but early on, that I've always been careful with because of these situations, because of these challenges, that I don't fall into the trap of the imposter syndrome, mm. and say, you know what, Carlos. You have the intellect, you have the skills, continue to uh, to pursue it. Also, in those moments that perhaps the, the most difficult moments, and um, not that they were tragic, but they were definitely uncomfortable and difficult. Actually, what I did is uh, I reflected on the many positive contributions that Hispanics, like Latinx, Latinos have made, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, in literature, our music, our food, uh, the sciences, medicine, sports, just about every segment of society. I says, wow, you know, uh, I would say my people have made uh, um, this, this impactful, tremendous contributions. And I've always felt in my moments of doubt, that that was uh, that was very comforting for me. That's great. That's great, Carmen. Want to weigh in? Sure. So I think that uh, you know it, it's different stages in in your life. I went to vet school in Chile, so at that point. It was the two challenges of uh, being in the south of Chile, where in veterinary school, the majority of my classmates were German descendants. So it was just a handful of uh, people, what I call with dark hair. Um, and uh, because I would sit at the back of the auditorium and I would see this sea of, you know, blonde hair and here and there, the dark hair. And... Uh, 
but uh, I was also one of the few females in, in the class. And uh, so uh, the way that I was brought up is that I always, you know, my parents felt that uh, the way that you carry yourself and how hard you work and study and all that is very important. So I know that there are different views on, uh, you know, hard work and that hard work doesn't work for everybody, that there is a little bit of privilege here and there. And there is no doubt that, you know, I did have situations where I did have the privilege of we were not rich, we were not poor, but my parents were uh, sort of well positioned within my dad, within the intellectual world. My mom was a nurse and, and uh, we own our house, you know, like when you start looking at all the different things that will constitute privilege. I think that when I was a, uh, an exchange student, uh, a teenager, an exchange student in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was the first time that it was like, oh, <laughs> I'm really different. Uh, but I was with a very loving family, still maintaining contact after all these years. And so the way that I have faced, uh, you know, challenges and um, is uh, interesting that you are asking because uh, our students had a session uh, yesterday or day before yesterday, Voice uh, had a session and they asked a similar question. And my response was that there is a primitive way of responding to uh, a challenging situation, you know, uh, you flight or you fight. And I tend to flight. You don't want me to fight, believe me, because when you talk about, you know, a fighty, you know, Latina woman, yes, you don't want to see that side of me. <laughs> so I tend to ignore it and walk away. And I know I see it, uh, Paco smiling because he and I have worked together with Pambet in very sort of tough situations, uh, we get along wonderfully and we have faced some, you know, really tough situations. And he knows that, you know, I, I would not fight. You know, I will speak my mind, but I will not fight. I will, and if something is wrong, and my dad would say, you know, just have pity on them, you know, they're ignorant. And so that's the way, you know, they don't know better. So, you know, just walk away. And that, I think, has saved me from some embarrassment. Oh, I, I get it. I am a, a, a Southern, um, a, a Southern U.S. woman. Um, we would say, bless their hearts. <laughs> I know. You taught me to bless your heart. I use it so often. <laughs> bless their hearts. <laughs> yeah, we did have a discussion about the use of bless your heart. <laughs> So I, I didn't yeah. use it. <laughs> Francisco. <laughs> oh, I, I want to start this part uh, saying that the, uh, what Carlos says was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And also, let me tell you, but I learned a lot from Carmen in the last uh, few years. Yeah, she's quite a woman, and the way that she behaves in bad situation is wonderful. Is wonderful also. 
But I, I'm going to tell you two, two experiences that I have because in Mexico it's difficult to have a discrimination because of the color of your skin or whatever. But I have a discrimination for the color of my skin in the United States. I went, I, I went to uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a visit in a, when I finished the, 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 the bachelor degree, then I spent some time in Ohio. Yeah, and then I was in a Latino area. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Saturday night in a dancing place, to the so I really feel discriminated from all these people, you know. And then, uh, well, that was an experience. I was very young, and I I uh, learned a lot of the 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 at that time was right to use the word Chicano. I think there is not anymore, but in the, with the Chicano group of people, and I enjoy it. At the very end of my state with with that group, they recognize me. I recognize them. It's a very very nice uh, people, yeah, working people, and they hope that they also know how to party, yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, and I I I, I, I at, the, at the at the very end, I I really had a very good time with them. And the second time was also in, but that it was during my PhD degree. Yeah, that somebody called me Mexican. But you know how you, you perceive one day the way that they called you, no? And then, but I, it's, a, it's like a fairy tale, no? It's a, it has a very good ending also. We finished being a very close friends uh, that uh, well, he, we helped each other during the last time in my, during my PhD. Then I think is uh, the, 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 everything that goes through when you know how to de- deal with these things and take advantage of this, uh, this experience. Yeah, I think that is the, the good part of the of having experience. I could it's going to be very boring not to have anything, nothing happen to you. That would be a very boring life, no? <laughs> yeah. That's a very positive way of looking at it. And I appreciate <laughs> that. So um for instance, so I'm gonna stay with you for a minute. What do you see as uh some of the biggest challenges to diversity in veterinary medicine in general? Mm-hmm. What do you see are big challenges? Well, the, the thing is trying to understand the in the recent time what is happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then uh, yes, uh, the, these differences uh, become completely different of the education that we have. But I think that you have to be very open-minded, yeah, and trying to understand what is the differences, what are the, the diversity that we need in our society, and how we have to recognize them. It's only not the race, it's also sex, it's also gender, it's all these kind of things. And I am thinking that is uh, that when things in, uh, that happen all over the world, it was very, very hard in the uh, 2018, 1819 in Mexico, we have a lot of the protests, a lot of these kind of things. And I uh, I think that was in, in, because of feminism, yeah? And I think ladies are right. There are very different ways to express the, 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 that they are not happy, yeah? And mm-hmm. we, I, I am not want to get in this discussion of that. There are ways that, but it's the, in essential, in essential, they are right. They had been for many, many, many years. And I can say that because I, I have only aunts. I don't have uncles. Mm. I have only sisters. I don't have brothers. Then I understand them very, very well. Let me tell you that the, I was 
the responsibility for everything at home. Yeah. If something mm -hmm. was wrong, was Francisco the one that did it wrong? Yeah. But anyway, I think I am very feminist in this way, and but I I think that we have to be very supportive with the, especially with the at the better school, the 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 students coming into a very very young. They they come in around twenty years old, and then they are having all these kind of uh, worries. They have to deal with them. Uh, we have to improve a lot our uh, psychological service. Uh, I have to hire more psychologists, and then there is there is something that we have to deal with. Is going to be take uh, some time. Uh, mm -hmm. That is has to yeah. has to go, and then it's a, it's a change. It's a change that is needed in our society. And I think we need to learn every day and how to deal and how to solve these kind of problems. All yeah. problems have solutions. Yeah. You know? Yes, yeah. they do. Um, mm -hmm. They may not come easy, but they all do have solutions. And I think you're right. We do see these. Um, I mean, globally, we see these movements, um, you know, where groups kind of, uh, they get sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? I mean, we're seeing that in, with uh, women and students in Iran right now, right? And so um, so I think that it is something that that we, um, it's, a, it's a collective struggle, right? Um, Carlos, what do you see are the, the big challenges? Well, I think that uh, uh, Francisco is on point, but uh, to me, in addition to that, I think we need to continue to have a discussion, expand the discussion. Why does diversity matter? And what is its value? Um, I still feel that there's some folks that some individuals that just don't quite don't quite understand that. And I think it's an opportunity for us to educate them. And it goes beyond the moral belief that is the right thing to do. And, and Lisa, you in your book, you you had a chapter on um, on why it matters. Why is it? What's the value? Yeah. Um, and to me, one of the uh, one of the points that I always bring out when I have this discussion is is why not. Why not tap into this community, into this group of, and this is all underrepresented, not just uh, Hispanics or Latino, because it's they we we are stretching the boundaries of where are the future veterinarians are going to come from, and these individuals, as I said earlier, because of their experiences, their cultural differences, their background. I go back that they will have a positive influence in the in the profession. And as you said, there's other factors. It's the business sense, because if in, in the case of the Latinos, you know, the population is growing. So that means that there's going to be more clients. Mm -hmm. And as you said in your book, um, uh, in, just like in human medicine, uh, the relationship within the client uh doctor relationship, there's an affinity if that client relates to you. So th I think that's important. And all the other attributes. The, the other area that I think we need to continue to work on, that we're, we're getting better, but we need to continue to work is on the inclusiveness side. Uh, I think that we can we get over the hurdle of the diversity, okay, 
but are we being inclusive in our colleges of veterinary medicine to all? And I think that that continues to be, we're doing better. I think we're, all of us are working to try to make it better, but I still feel that there is uh, some room for improvement in, in that particular area of inclusiveness. Yeah, yeah. Whenever someone tells me, you know, why does it matter and the dogs don't care? And I tell people all the time and I people have heard me even say it on the podcast that when my cute little dog Barkley is able to take himself to Delray Animal Hospital with his own credit card, (laughs) (laughs) then maybe it will matter less. (laughs) But he is still really reliant on me <laughs> for his his day to day life. So, um, yeah, Carmen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so the, I, I agree with both, uh, you know, Parkon and Carlos. What they have said, uh, I have, uh, you know, just a few things uh, to add. One is that I think that one of the big risks is uh, polarization. And the different groups, you know, recognizing that the different groups have their own struggles Mm -hmm. in in the African-American community, in the Hispanic community. And Francisco mentioned this, you know, colorism is big. You know, are you darker? Are you light skin? Are you medium skin? You know, all these, you know, skin tones and all that socioeconomic status, you know, like where are you in this totem pole? Um, so I think that, that you know, we need to learn somehow to work together and be a community. And um, you are going to talk to the New York Veterinary Society soon on the value of allyship, we, we shouldn't forget that there are a lot of white people that they want to help. Yeah. They want to know what can we do? How can we help? You know, what are the opportunities out there to, to help and have an influence? And to me, one of the big risks is that, you know, we go to uh, sort of elementary school, middle school, high school, college, trying to tell people about veterinary medicine so that they will see a veterinarian. And we may get uh, these uh, students very excited about uh, pursuing a career in veterinary medicine, but guess what? How do they access a veterinary clinic to have a mentor? the first hurdle is to go and talk to the receptionist that is going to send them away. So how do we get, you know, clinics to open their doors and have a more accessible way for minorities of all type uh, to go and say, hey, you know, I would like to volunteer here because then in veterinary school, what do we do in our admissions process? We call it holistic, but then we are looking at how many hours of pre-veterinary medicine experience do you have? And if you didn't have access to a veterinarian, how are you going to get there? So I think that leveraging into the people that want to help and the different communities being more open to uh, be inclusive, I think is is a big deal. And then, you know, that one of the big things that we have not talked about 
is that in general, and I know that this is going to sound awful, but in top of colorism and social classes, you know, in general, in Latin American uh, societies, you know, sexual orientation, sexual identity is a big thing. You know, we are not tolerant. And then I hate that word because there is nothing to tolerate. You know, but we, you know, that that is a big thing where people are still afraid to come out and be who they were born to be. So the, all of those things, you know, I, I can go on and on, but we're running out of time. <laughs> well, those are really important things. And, and it gets at that um, those intersectional issues that I think Francisco also kind of alluded to earlier around, you know, um, class um, and the impact of poverty on accessibility. Um, yeah, then you have, you know, gender identity and queer identities and kind of how do communities respond and react? And, and you can be even in homogenous, fairly homogenous kind of communities and still feel excluded, right? Yeah, or just tolerated, right? Yeah. Did you have anything else to add, Francisco? No. The word tolerated, I was thinking that what Carmen says, tolerated, why we have to tolerate. Yeah, yeah, um, you want to be inclusive. So, um, Francisco, I actually have a very specific question for you. Um, and we were chatting about this before um, the start of the show. And that is, so uh, UNAM has been accredited by the COE now for, what, 11 years, you said. And, um, you know, I remember I was working on my doctorate at the time and working on accreditation issues. And oh, my, <laughs> there was a lot of chatter about UNAM and, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, these graduates of UNAM are going to come to the U.S. and take all of, you know, the veterinary jobs. Of course, now we're talking about a shortage. So, you know, <laughs> like, there's, yeah. like it goes like this. Um, but, you know, I, I guess my question for you is how, and each of you have talked a little bit about how you cope with these things, but how did you really kind of cope with, um, I guess, that 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 the resistance? I mean, I think don't think it was a necessarily, it wasn't a COE thing, but it was what COE represented, right? And so how did you deal with, the rhetoric, um, the, the, that those things, yeah. Yeah, well, let me start a little bit earlier than that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this uh, talking, uh, I was talking about the NAFTAT thing, and then we decided, okay, we don't need to fight. We better go and see and fulfill all the requirements. And that is what we start doing. And it took us 10 years to prepare the vet school to be ready to be accredited, yeah, and a lot of money. Yeah, you know what it, the, all these all these requirements means. Now, then we we did all that what it has to be done. We think we did it okay. Then we usually take a, a one visit and a full visit. We have two visits and almost a year to have the decision because all of what happened in the in the radio, in the news, in every everywhere. Yeah. And then uh, I remember very well one uh, celebration of ABM, ABMC uh, and in, in, in Chicago. I think that was the 100th celebration. Yeah, and then they invite me, invite me in the House of Delegates 
to, to give a little three minute speech, no? And uh, I remember very well, I say, we are now uh, trying to get the accreditation to export vets to the United States. What we are pursuing is quality and excellence, you know? And that, that was right. Yeah, at that at that time, uh, the, we didn't have an equivalent of the COE. We start working, then these things of accreditation become in, in Latin American, and they they have actually the same design that we did in create in Mexico. And we took a lot of things from the COE to establish in Mexico. Yeah, and then uh, at the things uh, we got the accreditation. And they they were waiting for all this bunch of Mexican vets going into the United States, and nothing changed. They were we, we start having the same uh, applications that they have the, to take the NAPLE and these kind of things, if to be able to have a license in the United States. The numbers didn't vary, didn't vary too much. It still is is today. It has been a little bit raised by the demand that is needed now in the United States and, and Canada. But usually is is one to two percent the number of vets uh, from each class then migrate to the United States that they're applying for a license. Then it hasn't been any change. Is and right now we are we are having people trying to to promote uh, 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 for space to promote to be hired to go to work to the, into United States or Canada. And what I have been telling these people is that we are still believing quality and we and excellence, and that is the way that we want to to, to, to be in as a created school. And and also as you as you know the. The, the there is no tuition or fee at the at the UNAM, no. Then the, the education is paid by the Mexican society, yeah. Then we are very interested that the vets and the the good vets remain in Mexico, yeah, serving Mexican people, yeah. There is a general idea. In conclusion, it was a. Uh, let's say interesting time. It was very uh, you have a, a lot of stress. Any accreditation, we even uh, we we have a follow up of the accreditation in Mexico at the at the third year of the accredited to to check if we are fulfilling all the the suggestions and all the recommendation that they did. Yeah, and it's only it's a follow up. Yeah, but anyway, this is stressful. Stressful, but uh, anyway, I think that we did it okay, and we have a very supportive people in the COE, in AVMA, in AAVMC. Very, very supportive people. You know, and let me tell you, I'm going to take advantage now to to thank all these people because we have learned a lot from them, and I think uh, people from the United States and and Canada from this organization have also learned the way that we do things here. In, in Mexico and also in Latin America. Then I think I, I, I feel very, very, very well, very, uh, uh, how do you say, successful in all these adventures that we have, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I am absolutely delighted that you all are a part of AAVMC. And uh, yeah, it, it was a rare, it was an interesting time. <laughs> There's a lot happening with accreditation. 
uh, it was uh, for me uh, as someone interested in accreditation, it was really great for my dissertation. <laughs> so I'm really sorry that you went through that, but it was great for my dissertation. <laughs> but okay, okay. Um, so as we begin to wrap the show, I'm very curious um, for each of you, I guess this is probably my last question. And that is um, what do you see are kind of those big opportunities, but really what I want to know is what words of wisdom can you share with students from shared or similar backgrounds that also applies certainly to all students, right? Because um, everybody's going to be uh, tuning in. But really, what what words of wisdom might you share? Carmen, we're going to start with you. Because Carmen has given me many, many words of wisdom over my... <laughs> over I friendship. don't know about that. Uh, but, uh, thank you for saying that. So, um, well, I, I will start with, uh, you know, you made a comment that uh, all the pushback for UNAM to get accredited was at the same time when there were all discussions that there were too many veterinarians. And at that time, I was in a national meeting where somebody stood up and said, you know, look at the demographics. There is going to be a time when whites are going to be a minority and Hispanics, Latinos are reproducing like rabbits and they will be all over the place and they do not use veterinary services. So, you know, we don't need more veterinarians and look where we are now. So um, just because, you know, I am not going to deny the value of seeing people that look like you, speak like you, and have them as a role model. But when you don't have them, I think that you just have to find the role models in willing people that want to mentor you. And my mentors have been white men. You know, one of them is Dr. Larry Hyder, that was also your boss. He was the person that introduced us, and he was my dean at Atlantic Vet College. I mean, how does he look like me? <laughs> you know, um, excellent mentor. You know, Texas A&M, John Chaddock, a pathologist, also a white man. And so I can go on and on, you know, then female, you know, Shirley Johnston at uh, Western University, tall white lady. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think that you just have to look for the role models and then know that nobody's perfect and look away for the things that are not, you know, quite similar to your background, or maybe they will say something that it was not meant to be hurtful, and then they don't know any better, you just move on. Uh, so that would be my recommendation that uh, during this time when we are not numerous, just look for the role models uh, across, you know, different races, different type of socioeconomic status, you know, different gender identifications and so on. And just be resilient. That resiliency is just so valuable. For that, thank you for that, uh, Francisco. Words of wisdom. 
for those well, 3,000 students you have. <laughs> and I'm sure you know them all by name. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> and it's 3,600. Oh. 3,600. Oh, okay. Pushing 3,000. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I would uh, tell them that they take advantage of the opportunities. Then sometimes the opportunities come only once in your lifetime. You know? And then you have to be awake and you have to be waiting for those opportunities and take advantage when you when you see them. Another thing is, uh, the other will say is, says, don't worry too much about what you are. Be yourself. You know? Don't have to worry. Yeah, things you have, you have to learn to accept you as you are and that's it. You know? And the third one is uh, you always remember to be grateful to the people that helped you, to your mentors and the institutions. I believe, I really believe in institutions, and I think that we have to be grateful when we uh, get good things from institutions and especially from people. Yeah. And I have a lot of people that I would like to thank during all my years at veterinary medicine. Nationally and international, yeah, it's, it's a very when you have the opportunity to travel and the opportunity to meet people outside of your country, that is quite an experience that I will recommend trying to do it. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, <laughs> Carlos, what well, you got? God. Well, I, I would, uh, you know, I go back to the old cliche uh, to follow your dreams. Um, I think I like the word that was used to be resilient, uh, to maintain your strong sense of self. And I think, you know, I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with Carmen that to look for mentors, advisors that may not look like you. Uh, because I, uh, in, 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 you know, for me personally, there were a lot of, uh, white males that, uh, not only mentored me, but opened the door, helped open the door. So I think that that would be my message. And, and, and I keep going back that there's a place for you in this profession and, and that you belong. Oh, that's beautiful too. Uh, and yeah, shout out to Dr. Larry Hyder. And uh, the late great uh, Dr. Uh, Lester Crawford, who is <laughs> responsible, both of those are responsible for me being in uh, vet med and have had a major impact on, on my life and neither one of them <laughs> looked like me, right? And so um, in any way, but, but um, yes, there are really great allies out there who can um, be your champions, your sponsors, your mentors. So um, wonderful, wonderful guidance. I'd just like to take an opportunity to thank each of you for agreeing to be on the show. Um, I'm so glad that we finally had an opportunity to have this conversation. Um, it, it means a lot to me personally. I just am quite fond of each of you. And um, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Sure. So this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air to my guests, Dean Risco, Dean Suarez, and Dean Fuentebella. 
Thank you for joining me. Um, be sure to subscribe to your um, to this show on your favorite podcast app. And uh, we will be moving, migrating our Facebook content to the main AAVMC Facebook page beginning in November. So if you have not liked the Facebook page, um, uh, the AAVMC's general Facebook page, please go and do that right now. Um, and you will soon find the content uh, that, the, that the podcast page uh, used to have. So um, be sure to do that and thank you for watching thank you for listening bye-bye thank you